Mitch, I was uh, I ended up doing the same thing uh, you do on a Friday night. I was I was at home in front of a laptop with uh, multiple screens watching multiple games. So, uh, you know, I lived the I lived the life of Mitch on a Friday this week. Although although, to be fair, I didn't do any Twitter work. I let you do all that, too. Yeah. Yeah. Your your setup was pretty, pretty impressive. So that that definitely trumps mine because I'm usually just watching either one screen tonight. I was on, I was on YouTube cause there was a couple of games streaming there, but yeah, normally my face is just buried in my phone. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, good to have you inside for once on a, on a Friday night there, Greg. Well, so I gotta be honest here. Um, I was originally set up to go to my daughters were dancing at assumption high school on the Iowa side in the quad cities and the dance at halftime was canceled with the little with the younger girls because of the potential rain and thunderstorms. So I'm not sure if they played the game or not, but hey, that was my that was my end to to sit at home and watch high school football and for a brief second I thought, man, I could still like I have time to like still get to a game if I wanted to, but I you know, it's the fight of keeping a camera dry and walking the sidelines or just staying at home and watching. Right. So for this week, I was, you know, I'll admit, I was kind of a wimp, and I just stayed at home and watched, uh, you know, didn't brave the sidelines. But we are joined by a man who was there in person. You you were probably in the protection of a press of a press box, but Matt Shuckman is here. Were you Never. on the sidelines? Of course. I At Flynn Stadium, I'm always in the end zone because I'm taking photos during the game. Okay. So I, I'm always down there, and so – Actually, the, the fun for me at Quincy High home games this year, especially, uh, is I always sit in the, the end zone closest to where the Blue Devils locker room is. But one of my coaches when I was back in high school is still helping out. He, he still hangs around. He's in his 70s. Jim Wassman's his name. He, sit, he and I sit and talk during the, during the game. We talk about plays, talk about situations. Um, some, there were some other people down there with us tonight. It, you know, I'm working the whole time, but yet I'm having fun because I get to talk to those guys. Man, that's the best type of work. That sounds amazing. So, well, Chuck, the reason we brought you in is the, uh, you know, the team you're covering, the Quincy Blue Devils, they're the talk of the big six. And and honestly, like, I think people better be, you know, on the lookout for a team potentially around the state to be watching for come playoff time. Let's Let's jump into it here. Okay. Well, and I think you mentioned should people, you know, around the state. And I think tonight kind of made a statement that, yeah, this team is on that level. I think last week's victory over Sterling had some people going, maybe is this team as good as its record? Because because Sterling hung around. Quincy didn't score in the second half of last week's game. So I think there was some like, "Mm, okay, this team's good, but how good? Well, the defense pitched a shutout tonight. Obviously, I know Geneseo, it was a 35-7 game. Geneseo took the opening kickoff back 97 yards. Jackson Reed took it back um, 97 yards with a touchdown. Geneseo didn't score after that. 191 total yards against Quincy's defense. Quincy plays defensively. And I think the level they played at defensively tonight is the level they need to play at in the postseason to have any sort of success. Yeah, Mitch, you watched a little bit of this one? I watched, I, yeah, I watched the whole thing. Um, and, and yeah, we've, we've talked up Quincy's defense a lot. I know Matt, you've written articles about that Quincy defense and yep. it, and we'll get into this in a minute. It makes last week's performance a little bit more odd that Sterling lost to rock Island tonight, but yes. Um, <laughs> but yeah, all, all night, 
because in the second half, especially Quincy turned the ball over a couple times, a couple fumbles. Um, but in, in that first half, they had that pick against AJ Weller that led to a score. So yeah, yep. their defense was really strong all night fast, really didn't let Jaron Neal get going. Didn't let AJ Weller get going. Right. Um, so yeah, as much as we talk about the offense and we, they deserve a lot of credit. The defense is really, really good for Quincy. Well, and, and I think like tonight, you, you mentioned the interception. Jack Metemeyer picks off Weller, and the next play, Jureus Rice goes for a 47-yard touchdown. And it, it was that moment that like, okay, the game completely turned. Yes, Quincy had scored on its previous possession to make it 7-7. But you're sitting there going, okay, it's 7-7. Anything could happen. And then, boom, boom, two plays. Quincy's got the lead. And it was kind of like, sorry, Geneseo, it's not going to be your night. Yeah. Yeah, it was it was impressive. I was watching this one from the beginning and you know, Geneseo shot out of a cannon literally. I mean, you know on that on that on that kickoff return and you thought, "All right, maybe we got a game here." You know, they right. they were fired up. And yeah, like you said, it 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 was Quincy doing what they've done all year and just, you know, being so dangerous. Yeah, Mitch. I I think it's the second straight week that Geneseo's scored opening the game with a kickoff return, right? Yeah, I believe I believe you're right. Yeah. But it's it's also the second time in three weeks that they haven't scored an offensive touchdown. So just flipping gears to Geneseo for a minute, a yeah. little bit of a concerning trend there as they go into the 4A playoffs. Because I think going into this game of all the 6-1 and one teams in 4A, they had the lowest playoff points. So the loss tonight doesn't help their cause any. And the way that they're playing on offense, they got to right that ship next week. Yeah, yeah, I would agree that, you know, the, yeah. the Sterling game, there was, you know, some questions out of that one. They win a game against Mendota. I don't know how much you can take away from that. Mendota's down this year in that non-conference game. You know, and then again tonight, it was like they never really, like like we referenced, they never really picked up steam, never really, you know, got their footing and got going in this one. It's a challenge to go on the road to Quincy, and especially this year with Quincy being so good. But they never really sustained any drives tonight. That was the thing. If they had sustained a couple drives and then turned the ball over, or gotten into the red zone and said, okay, we're going to go for it instead of kicking a field goal or something like that. They just never sustained anything that made Did, you think, okay, they're going to get rolling here at some point and really attack Quincy. It just never really happened. They they tried a 47-yard field goal, but did they ever get into the red zone? No. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think so. Wow. Wow, that's, that's and that, interesting. And the that, that field goal was blocked, so more credit yeah. to the Quincy. All, yeah. all their Every level they were playing well tonight. All right, Chuck, I don't know if there's anything to it, but I got to ask, I texted you during the game. Geneseo's broadcast was all over Braden Little's feet. And they said that Priest... Not just just him, but also the tackles. Okay. So they they were pointing out that pre-snap, if the heels were down, it was going to be a pass. If his toes were, if his heels, if he was on his toes, then it was going to be a, it was going to be a run. And that ended up being fairly accurate. They were kind of calling out plays before they were happening. Now, I mean, it didn't make it didn't make much difference. I mean, literally, they called out, okay, here we go, pre-step, it's gonna be a run. And Jureus Rice ran up the middle for 50 some yards. <laughs> it, it didn't make a difference, but it was fascinating. It was interesting that they were noticing that. Okay, so I, I got your text message and I tried to watch for it, but when I'm taking photos and everything, I'm not looking at his feet. Yep. Per se. So I brought it up to Rick Little, the head coach who was also Braden's dad. Yeah. For the game. And I told him I got a text message and this is what was said. 
And before I could read him the text message, he kind of, he jokingly said, oh, what's he doing, tipping his pitches? <laughs> and I said, yeah, essentially that's what they're saying. And he looked at me like, seriously? And I, and he said, I think they're going to go back and watch film because I talked to him about it. I talked to Braden about it. And they, they both kind of like shook their head like, I just don't see that happening. And, yeah. and, and Rick Little, he's, he's like, look, I watch him in practice all the time. And he goes, I've never picked up on that. Yeah, so, they, they they said it early on. Like, it wasn't something that they picked up on during the game. They were like, we've seen this on the game film heading into this game. So, yeah, whether it's intentional or not, it's hard to say. But something, again, he's certainly going to play at the next level and certainly yeah. um, something that they'll want to just be cognizant of and work on. Certainly. Yes. I, just, I, I found it very interesting. It makes me want to go back and watch film and go, is that truly what was happening? Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not – I mean – I'm not a, you know, I'm not a deep dive film kind of guy, but the way they were, Mitch, you were watching the broadcast too. And the way they were every play, they would call it out and it it would happen a lot. Nine times out of 10, they were getting it right before the play happened. It's interesting. Shout out to that, to that crew. I don't, I don't know that crew, but they were pretty good all night. That was, they were, they must've been former coaches or, or something. They're very close to the game. So to one, to pick up on something like that, but even beyond that, uh, that crew was really good, really good broadcast for them tonight. If it's the same crew that does most of their games, and I believe it is, yeah. I've heard them before, and they do a really good job. I know I didn't make the trip to Sterling last week, so I got to see Jim Spencer and his crew do the game. Uh, very impressed by that as well. We're kind of lucky in the Big Six that that a lot of that goes on, and we, we get some good crews providing us that kind of coverage. Yeah, you, you get you get you get those Sterling's the bar. I mean, they're really yes. good. But now you've got you've got the guys at at QC Sportsnet doing a great job with Moline and Rock Island. So yeah, you're right. The Western Big Six really all the way through has a yep. really good group of broadcasters. Uh, were you walking the sideline at Sterling last week, Chuck? I didn't go to Sterling last week. Oh, okay. I we had I had to switch plans. I had originally planned to, um, but with state golf, I had to yeah to take care of that business. I wanted. I was wondering if you ran into Edgy Tim, who was also out there last week. You know, that, I did not, but I read his stuff this week that he he wrote yeah. about the Blue Devils. Yep, yep. So that that kind of pivots before we wrap up Quincy talk. I guess looking, you know, next step. You know, obviously they have a week nine opponent in Muhammad Seymour, I believe. Correct. What's what's Muhammad Seymour's record? Six and one going into this week. I didn't see what they've done yet. What they I did believe tonight. they. I believe they won. Yeah. So, okay, I mean, so Muhammad's traditionally one of the better teams, and I know they've been ranked number one in the state in years past. And, and, and I mean, it's a good challenge for Quincy to make sure they're on their toes going into the playoffs. Okay, well, that's going to be my question, is looking around the Western Big Six, this Quincy team has taken care of business. You know, the last time you were on this podcast, we said it was it was very likely they could go you know, undefeated through the big six. They've done that. We thought they might go undefeated on the season. They're one step away from doing that. Have they been challenged enough this year? When when they go into the playoffs and they're in 7A and they're running into, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really looked at Seuss's brackets too close. That's my question, I guess. Yeah, I I think it's the question we're all asking because let's face it, the big six hasn't been great this year. You know? The Quincy Quincy has been head and shoulders above everyone else. I know Sterling challenged them. Moline gave them a game, but Quincy's the best team in the league. Yep. Um, their non-conference before that, 
was weak. You know, Alton's Alton's bad. Quincy Notre Dame struggled throughout its early part of its season. Yes, it's won a few games here as of late, but you know that was a fifty-five twelve beatdown. Um, you know, and so I think Quincy's got Quincy needs to be have its feet held to the fire, which I think Muhammad Seymour will try to do, um, especially defensively. I think Quincy offensively, no matter who they go up against in the postseason, will be okay because. They've shown if you do certain things to them, if, if you press them, they're going to go over the top on you. If you give them, uh, if you give them space, they're going to bubble you to death, you know, um, and they're going to use Jareus out of the backfield to catch passes. They can run with him. You know, they, they've got options offensively. It's defensively. Can they, can they defend the pass consistently? And can they, can they stop the run? I mean, and, I don't know if we've seen a playoff caliber team really shove it down their throat or try to shove it down their throat. Yep. Because face it, we don't have a lot of playoff caliber teams in the big six this year. Go ahead, Mitch. So I was, I was going to say, I was, I was looking it up and I can only assume that I don't see the final, but they were up 49, nothing at halftime. So assuming that they cut <laughs> out Batoon, who is not good. Right. That would be three shutouts in the last four weeks. It'd be their fourth shutout on the year. And they play some pretty I guess I don't know the quality of the teams, but they most of them have winning. They play a solid schedule. Yeah. yeah. Their their one loss came to Morton, who I they were playing somebody big tonight. I don't know if they won. But um yeah, I like you guys said, the Western Big Six is down this year. Quince or sorry, Geneseo was their record-wise tough as opponent, and they dispatched them pretty easily. So yep. I think it's good that they're playing Seymour here in Week 9. I think it's a really quality out-of-conference game going into the playoffs. So, um, But just watching Quincy play, you, you just don't see a huge weakness. Don't don't turn the ball over, right? A couple of those yeah. fumbles where the game was in hand, don't try not to do that. But they've got so many playmakers. The offensive line is so good, and the defense that we just talked about. So even though they haven't been challenged, it's hard to see a weakness for them right now. True. I, and again, we haven't talked a whole lot about special teams with them. They have two kids who can kick. So if they get in a, in a situation, they need a field goal or something like that. They have two guys they can lean on. Um, Jack Hammock's been a playmaker on special teams throughout the year. He's the one that knocked down the two point conversion pass against Sterling. Um, so special teams, I think they've been solid all year. Again, don't make turnovers and don't give up the big play defensively. And I know um, you mentioned Susie's brackets. He had him going against Wheaton Warrenville South as of last week. Okay. Who knows? Yeah, I know. That's I haven't really, you know, deep dive the brackets, especially when you get in the into the upper, you know, upper classes. But right. you know, I'd really have to look at those teams and see what they do because it, you know, it comes down to matchups because they're are going to be very few and far between common opponents or really links that you can say, okay, this is an edge or this is an edge. You know, it, it becomes kind of a wild card when you're talking about Quincy entering that 7A field, which is dominated by schools farther north, clearly, yeah. you know. And what I reminded somebody tonight, somebody said something about, well, they're just going to get paired with Edwardsville because they're the biggest teams in the South. Well, that's not how the IHSA does the 7A bracket. It's 1 through 32. And there's no geographical change in that. It's one through 32, and that's how it plays out. Yeah, and, and th thank God for that. We have at least a couple, one of our <laughs> teams that will be paired one through 32 and not the 
one through 16. Mitch, what do yes. you got? I was, I was just looking at last year because I, I think certainly this Quincy team is a lot better than last year, but they did play 6A, right? They, they won that yep. game against Glenwood. That was a shootout. And then they played against a really good Lamont team in rainy conditions and kept that game close. So, right. you know, again, that was a team that didn't win the Western Big Six last year and didn't look as good as they do this year. Now they're playing up a class. It's a little bit different, but just looking at what they've done, they've, they've, they've held their own, I would say, in the playoffs. And this team's even better than that. And I think they're going to stay in 7A. Like the okay. last bracket, bracketology I've seen has them as the, the third or fourth smallest school in 7A. But there's enough of a gap there that they're probably not going to be the smallest and teeter on that line of dropping to 6A. Now, a couple teams win some games they're not supposed to. The last two weeks, that changes. But I think they stay in 7A. They've traditionally been 6A, right? Correct. And I, I don't know, I don't know if six A or seven A is any makes any difference really. I mean, I, you know, where's some East years. What's that? I said, where's East St. Louis? Well, that's that's a good question. Um, that, that'll be that. That's six A. And the interesting thing about them is their record puts them at a spot where they're not going to be a number one seed. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Where their their losses being against Mount Carmel and some team from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> that's a whole different beast, but all right. Anything, well, any, all, all that, all that being said, we didn't even mention that they win the conference crown tonight. <laughs> we didn't even <laughs> say that <laughs> all that, all that being said, they, they win, uh, shuck your guy, uh, David Adam put out some things. It's their, it's their seventh Western big six crown in school history. Um, they have a chance to be, no, that's incorrect. Season. It's sixth, isn't it? He might not have tweeted it out, but I saw seventh. Because they won it in three times in the early 70s. They won it in 2014 and 2016. Okay. There you go. They hadn't won it, tw- they hadn't won it since 2016. Okay. So we'll call it sixth. Uh, but it would be their first 9-0 season next week, if yes. they win, uh, since 1935. Does that sound about right? 1935 is the last time they went 9-0. Yeah. With, with that being said, you know, some major history on the line if they can go nine and zero. Oh. But give me Shuck, give me a little bit of the you know the feel. Yeah. By the, the way, six six conference title. I got the WB six history book here. Okay, okay. There we go. There we it go. Was, I want I want to I want to say it correctly that I don't I don't believe David Adam was the one that tweeted that part out. I just wrote that separately. So that's all right. David's a, oh, David's a big bubblehead, so it's okay. You can say all you want about him. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, Shuck with the with the potential. You know, history of nine and zero being the first time it'd be done since 1935. You get yep. your sixth Western Big Six Conference crown in school history for a school that's traditionally "quote unquote" a basketball school. And you know, obviously, there's no. I'm not making a joke out of that. Basketball is huge down there. Like, oh, yeah. it, it's it is it is usually the talk of the town every best, year. Best gym in the state. Yeah, yeah. Among among a conference with a lot of amazing gyms and a right. lot of amazing traditions. Um, talk about this. What does it mean for a football team like this to kind of, you know, have a season like they're having? Because this this doesn't happen very often, obviously. No, you got to remember, like when I was in high school, I, I if I'm correct in thinking back to my four years, we won one game when I was in high school. Wow. Yeah. So. Um, I mean, Quincy is a, Quincy at one point was in the IHSA record book, a 42 game on field losing streak. 
So Quincy's had its its issues with the football program over the years. Um, it means a lot. It means a lot to this group because because what this is, is this group was the, were were some of the ones. So when Rick Little took the job, how did he build the Quincy program to where it is now? It started with a youth football league, and most of these kids, if not all these kids, played in that youth league at some point in time. And like a couple of them were talking about how they were the ball boys for the 2016 team. So they saw what it meant to go win a title. And they've been waiting to do that and wanting to do that. Um, it's a big deal. It, it is a big deal. There was a great crowd there tonight, even though it had rained most of the day and it got chilly as the night went on. Um, it was a great crowd and and people were really excited. Um, they tried to give uh, Coach Little a Gatorade bath or a water bath after the game or at the end of the game didn't really work because he sensed it. <laughs> so he had one of his assistant coaches go over and dump out the Gatorade buckets. Oh with man. A couple minutes left in the game. So the seniors who were all out of the game by that point, the, and the starters went over and gathered every water bottle, unscrewed them and dumped that. And then they got down on their hands and knees and scooped up the ice off the ground and put it in there <laughs> so they could try to douse him. Um, and he made a little move and he didn't get very wet. But hey, he, that's said, he said he said he will take it from now on if it means they keep winning. There you go. I was gonna say that that is the mark of a great head coach, always prepared, prepared for everything, <laughs> even even the potential, you know, Gatorade water bath. But uh Either way, congratulations to Quincy. It's an amazing season in it, and hopefully it keeps going for a while here. I think there's a chance. I, I think they get a couple rounds into the playoffs at least. Um, you got to remember, Quincy's only won two playoff games in school history and never been past the second round. So Yeah, I mean, I remember a few years ago talking about they'd never won a playoff game. So yeah. it's fairly recently that they've won a few. So, Mitch. Chuck, just, just looking ahead here. Little, Rice, Hammers, Byquist. Are they all juniors? No, Byquist is a senior. Okay. The rest are all juniors. Um, and you, then you've got on defense, you've got a couple guys that are juniors in the middle. Ty Douglas is a senior. But like one of their stalwarts up front, Todd Smith, is a sophomore. Um, he's the defending Western Big Six heavyweight wrestling champion as a freshman. You know, you got him. Um, so it's not like they're going to graduate a ton. They're now offensive line is senior heavy mm -hmm. with a lot of the guys who have a lot of starting experience, but their skill positions. I mean, pretty much everybody's back except Byquist. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, you know, we talked about it in the preseason and that's, what's, you know, the really impressive part for this team and this program is that a lot of the talent has, you know, a year left. So there's a lot they've been building and there's, you know, another major stepping stone next year that could be had. And, but obviously a lot to take care of still in this season. So we'll see how it plays out. Mitch, I, go through wanna, the scores. Oh yeah, go ahead. I want to say, and it, maybe it was a little hanging fruit this year, but everybody on that Western big six preview pod predicted this. So congrats <laughs> to everybody that was on that podcast. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. Uh, you, you want me to go through here? Yeah, let's give the other two scores. I guess only two other scores in the Big Six tonight, and then we'll talk yeah, a little you, bit about you, them. 
Yeah, UT got the win. They had the week off with a forfeit win. That, of course, is the Almond game. But uh, Moline got the big win, 41-10 to over Galesburg. And maybe the shocker of the night, uh, what a performance from Rock Island. Um, Coach Fritz seems to have found maybe something here the past couple of weeks. Rock Island gets the 14-7 to win over Sterling. Yeah, I mean, yeah, what else do you say? This one was surprising. And it's, I mean, I guess surprising in the fact that you know, it felt like Rock Island got that win over UT and, and then UT turns around and gets the win last week over Moline. So you didn't really yep. know kind of where all those teams fit. But even still, I just felt like Sterling had played so well a week ago against Quincy, which we already referenced, that I thought, OK, yep. they're going to get the job done tonight and they're going to move into that Moline game and that's going to be for a playoff spot, you know, and and credit to Rock Island. You know, they they have yep. not quit. I mean, they've they've gotten better as the year goes on. Gartar has proven to be really dangerous. And, you know, congrats to the Rocks. This was a this was a nice win for them at the end of a year that could have been a lost cause, but I think it builds a lot of momentum for them heading into next year. Yeah, Gartar, 224 yards. He had both of the Rocky touchdowns. And it's it's quite the the flip from last year, right? Because Sterling and Moline played in week nine last year. And if I'm not mistaken, that was for the Western Big Six crown, right? Yeah. Am I remembering that correctly? Okay. I believe so, and now, yeah. And now this year, it was looking for a little bit that they would both be four and four and they would be fighting for a playoff spot. And now you've got Sterling eliminated from playoff contention and Moline still hanging on for that uh, potential fifth win. So what a turnaround in in a year, you know, it's 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 wild how these things can change like that. Yeah. So you said Moline gets the big win, 41-10 over Galesburg. You had Pablo Perez, three touchdowns. Corbin Schnell, a couple touchdowns. Xander Ely added a score at the end as well. So the Maroons roll into that, you know, week nine matchup with Sterling now. And they have everything, you know, everything on the line here. They're looking for their fifth win. I want to say, too, that Rock Island goes to Geneseo next week, and I don't, I don't want to put upset alert on Geneseo, but again, you've got a Rock Island team now that's won two of the last three weeks, and you've got a Geneseo team on offense that hasn't done a whole lot. So, again, I, I think Geneseo is far the better team. It's just the way that things have been going these last three weeks for both teams that makes that a little bit more interesting, I think. Yeah, I would say there's, you know, there's something there. You know, you got to you gotta show up and play the games. But Rock Island's building, like I said, building a lot of confidence here as maybe maybe as they get more comfortable under Coach Fritz as the year moves on. So I will anything- say when that score kind of popped up tonight, I think everybody around the Quincy program, coaches, players, some of the, the managers and stuff were all like, whoa. Yeah, even the, I don't think anybody saw that coming. Even the broadcast was had the same reaction. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Anything else in the big six? Or are we moving into the three rivers? Actually, you know what? Let's let's pivot. Well, Shuck's here. Let's pivot and go to the Lincoln land. We'll get some of his uh, some okay. of his schools in here. Okay. Mitch, we talked the, the story of this of this conference tonight was the crossover game. Fulton mm-hmm. taking on Knoxville. We wanted to see. We wanted to get a barometer here, you know, gauging the Lincoln land against the NUIC Fulton against Knoxville. The steamers get the 42 to nothing win. Holy cow. 
I, I mean, yeah. this one shocks me. Now, it's a non-conference game. Knoxville has everything to play next week against Farmington. But man, the, you know, I think sometimes people, I think, get an outside of the Northwest Upstate Illini, get annoyed when we, you know, continue to sing the praises of the NUIC. But this is why we do it. Because, I mean, like, a matchup like this and Fulton blows by Knoxville, a team that I've been really impressed with. On their senior night. Yeah, it just, this score shocked me. Yeah. Now, look, some someone tweeted out that Knoxville was without their some of their starters. We don't know anything about that. We haven't seen the stats from this one to know who played and who didn't. But regardless, it, it's, again, it, it captures that narrative that the NUIC is the best small conference in the state. Absolutely. There's, question. Yeah. there's no question about that. And this is just another example because you, you have a Fulton team who started 0-2. Yeah, and they're, they were sitting at what four and three coming into this game, going on the road in the rain against a team that doesn't pass a whole lot in Knoxville, and they break the you know what however you want to say they bust the doors or break down the doors whatever against an unbeaten Knoxville team who's we've been impressed with all season. I mean that's a defense that's had four games that they've allowed eight or less points, including two shutouts. So. I don't know what happened tonight. This is crazy. It's why you play the game, but yeah, this is this is great for Fulton. Certainly, um, again, started zero two. Now they're five and three, so they're going to get into the one A playoffs. I think they play West Carroll next week, so they're going to be six and three. What a turnaround that is for Knoxville, right? It, it doesn't change a whole lot. It just uh, you you wonder if something was going on because now you have the the LLC uh, large school conference championship next week against Farmington. Yeah. So Farmington gets the 56 to six win over LVC. So they'll, that sets up the matchup we've been waiting for. You know, we kind of wondered or thought maybe these teams would be undefeated heading into that game. It hasn't turned out that way. Either way, it's for the, it's for the large school, um, you know, conference crown there in the LVC. So that one, we'll talk a lot about it on next week's pod, but um, you know, just it's a, I don't know. It's a score that stands out to me. I don't know how else to phrase it. I mean, you know, I, so I think, um, again, Knoxville has everything to play for next week. So it's a non-conference loss. But I think when you're looking around the state at the conferences and where they rank, this is a, it's a nice win for the NUIC. Yeah, and, and I say that, you know, maybe there was rumor that Knoxville didn't play anything. I don't want, I don't want to take anything away from Fulton's win because all their, all their stars were, were playing. Um, and, and they looked, they looked good. So yeah, huge, huge, sorry, huge win for Fulton, um, as, as they are riding all the momentum, which will they'll need going into that one, a North bracket. Yeah. Well, we jumped in here to talk about the Lincoln land conference and we ended up talking about the NUIC, but, well, but, that's, we'll okay. <laughs> but that's okay because it's interesting how many times I get asked about the NUIC. Yeah. Yeah. Be, be, well, one, because of the class one, a schools in our area, it, Especially Camp Point Central. That's what I wanted to ask you about. Yep. And, and and so a lot of people are always asking me, what makes the NI, NUIC so special? And, and the one thing that, that in talking to football people in this area that they always come back to is the physicality of the of play from the NUIC teams. Yeah. I just, I don't know. The, the longer that, I, and so going back a quick, you know, background, I mean, I've obviously based out of the Quad Cities, 
So I was only covering the NUIC kind of on the outside. I mean, we had a few schools that crossed over into our viewing area, but for the most part, it's closer to Rockford. Well, now that when we've started this podcast, I kind of took in that area because I just I wanted to cover that area because there was, you know, a few teams coming this way. And now with Fulton and especially next year with Morrison, we'll really be covering it. So as this podcast has come along, I've gotten to see it more and more. And I've really, you know, talked to Kyle Kampmeyer from NUICfootball.com and really kind of studied some of these teams. And I just think, yeah, when it comes to playoff time over the years, these teams have just you know, iron sharpens iron, as Kyle likes to say on the podcast. You know, you know these teams, they battle against each other, and I think they have a certain expectation going against each other all year. And when that comes to playoff time, I, I just, some conferences, some programs, it doesn't translate. They're just not at the same level as these NUIC schools. Mitch, what do you got? Kyle just put out that the NUIC is now 6-2 and two this year against non-conference opponents outscoring them 287 to 183, an average of 36 to 16. Yeah, I mean, it, and, and that, include, that includes Lena Winslow playing St. Teresa, the defending two, 2A champs, which they're having a down year, but still. Um, I think they've played quality non-conference teams. Well, last week, Forreston got the non-conference win over Gibson City, Melvin Sibley, who's ranked, I yeah. believe, or playing really well this year. So I just think, you know, sometimes, like I said, at the beginning of this conversation, Maybe some people on the outside get annoyed when we talk about them or when we praise them because it sounds like a broken record, but they continue to validate our conversations about it. So I guess, Chuck, we'll we'll take a little detour here because that's what the Instant Reacts does. Talk about Camp Point Central. They've been good year in and year out. Last year, they were a great program. They ran into a really good Lena Winslow team. Yes. But here we are again. Lena Winslow's still there. And Camp Point Central, I believe if you look at the either the NUICfootball.com rankings or you look at the AP, Camp Point Central's right there within two or three, you know, yeah. rankings. So I think I think this week in the AP poll, Central moved up to number two. Okay. Yep. You got you you got Lena Winslow one, Central two. Um now the interesting part is so the way the, the Western Illinois Valley Conference works is they're split into two divisions. They're in the WIVC North, and they've won it for the 12th time in 15, 16 years or whatever. I saw that tweet the other night. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But they, the last two weeks of the regular season are crossover games. So you play two teams from the opposite division. Well, a lot of times it's it's a crapshoot of what you get. So like Unity Payson, which is going to get in the playoffs in 2A, the two teams they finish with are a combined one or a combined one and thirteen going into the night, and the one win was against the other, because Pleasant Hill and North Green, the only wins either one's had in the last four years were against each other. Yeah. So you look at that, but then you look at Camp Point Central, and their two teams that they have to finish the regular season against are both five and two going into this week. Yeah. So, so Carrollton, yeah, yep. Carrollton and West Central. I just pulled it up. Yep. So they're going to get a couple of tests. You think they're going to get a couple of tests um, going in to the postseason instead of waltzing in there with a couple of non, you know, non-division scrubs that they had to play against. We're going to see, are they ready for the playoffs? Are they as good as their undefeated record? So it's interesting. Yeah. Like Mitch, you pointed out. Yeah. Carrollton and Camp Point Central play tomorrow. And that's the matchup between the last two opponents for Lena Winslow in the state championship game. 
Yep, they yep. played Carrollton a couple years ago. They played Camp Point Central last year. So by the time most people listen to this, that game will be over. But for yeah. you know, well, for, and, it's and interesting. Knocked out Camp Point two years ago. Camp Point won the division, but then lost to Carrollton in the playoffs. That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So clear. I mean, clearly, like this conference is good. And but like you said, depending on the matchups, you know, are you tested? Or are you not? You know, so. That's a good matchup, though, you know, in week eight for both those schools. Yeah, but so. I, I do think I do think Camp Point Central is the best 1A team coming out of this region. Greenfield Northwestern sounds like they're very good. I have not, chance to, have not had a chance to see them this year. Um, I did get to go up and spend a Friday night in Camp Point recently. Um, parked the truck. They let me park the truck right, like, underneath the goalpost. They let me pull it right over top the track and – so I sat on the tailgate with all a bunch of Camp Point fans around me and and got to watch a game and and it was interesting just to watch the speed that Central plays with cuz they're not overly big. Um they do play physical, but it's their speed that that sets them up and that's the way Brad Dixon coaches. Yeah. You know, that's his he calls them fast cats. You know, and they're good. I don't know if they're as good as last year, but they're good. Yeah. I love, side note, I love love Brad Dixon. I love following yeah. him on Twitter. Talked to him a couple or last year, I believe, before the state championship game. Really good guy. He's from this from our area, from uh Westmer, I believe. So, yes. so he has ties to uh, you know, Alito area. So let's get into a few more scores here, Mitch. Read down the way and then we'll talk through them. Are, are we staying in the LLC? Let's see. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right. Come on, Mark try to keep up. Play. Let's go. Yeah, Murko gets playoff eligible 24 to 16 over Macomb. Illini West, they get their fourth win, a 50 to 20 win over West Hancock. Farmington took care of business against LVC, 56 to 6. Uh, that was those were all on the large side. Small side, Anawan Weathersfield gets the big win over Rover Williamsfield, 28 to 6. That was a battle of uh, two teams uh, jostling for second place so far. First place, Team Star County, they remain unbeaten. They clinch a share of the title, 41-8 to over South Fulton. United gets the 22-8 to win over Havana. And Princeville also becomes playoff eligible with a 26-12 to win over Rushville Industry. And the only game we didn't see a final yet for was Elmwood-Brimfield against A-Town, which there's no implications there. But last, last we knew, Elmwood-Brimfield was winning 14-6. to Yeah. Well, Shuck, I'll start uh, with some of the teams around your area. Illini West gets the 50-20 win over West Hancock, so they're playoff eligible. Tell me a little bit about this Illini West team. So there is that was this their fourth win? Yeah, they're they're should they they're four and four now, correct? Okay. So okay, sorry. They can become playoff eligible next week. I misread the notes. There we go. Yeah, they, yeah, they play Central AM next week. Correct. Who's not that good? And that game's on the road. I would have to look it up. We got a 50 50 shot of guessing. (laughs) Yes. They're they're on the road. Um, Yeah, I'm a week with Central AM. So good chance they get in at five and four. Haven't been in the playoffs since 2018. Um, First year head coach who uh, it's interesting. He played at Quincy High School. His name's Jacob Calvin. Played at Quincy High School. Got a Married a girl from Carthage, moved up there, got a job at the high school, started as an assistant, got promoted to the head coach, and he's done a really solid job up there. 
Uh, his father and I lived on the same dorm floor at Mizzou as freshmen. How about that? Yeah, there yeah, you go. His, his dad was from a little town in Missouri and played football at Mizzou. Okay. All right. So just a little side note there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but they, they run the ball efficiently. Um, I saw him earlier this year against Macomb. Um, they've done a really nice job of growing defensively. I think there's still some room to grow there. But uh, offensively, they've got two kids in the backfield, Ian Bensinger and Nick Johnson. They do a nice job of, of using both. Um, they're solid. They're, they're not a world beater by any means, but they've made a lot of progress from a team that hadn't been in the playoffs for a few years. Yep. Yep. And other results, Mercer County, they get the much-needed win here, 24-16 over Macomb. So that's their fifth win. So the Golden Eagles are playoff eligible. This is a team that's been very up and down this year, but maybe they're, you know, turning that corner a little bit. This was a nice win for uh, for, for Mercer County here. And they'll they'll get in at six and three. They play West Hancock next week. So I expect yeah. the Golden Eagles to win that one. Yeah. So, yeah, it'll be like you said, they were sitting at two and three and they're going to win. Presumably they're going to win four straight to to have a, a better seating here in the because, well, they'll, they'll be 2A, right? Yeah, they'll be 2A. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I, I think for Mercer County, what it shows is the back half of their schedule wasn't as tough. But they, they've taken care of business the first three weeks of those four final, final four games. Right. Yeah. Uh, should be West Hancock next week. But they haven't allowed a slip-up. Where McCombs going to miss the playoffs, they got slobber-knocked last week by Elmwood Brimfield. Yeah. Which was a team that has two wins. That was a one-win team last week. Yeah. So you can see when a team finds its footing and can take care of business like a Mercer County, they've built some momentum toward the play toward the postseason. Well, and you you back like I said, Mercer County's been up and down. You backtrack to week one, and Mercer County lost to Monmouth United at home. Yeah. In in a real head scratcher now when you look back at things, but it's a first-year head coach in Tanner Matlick, and I think maybe. In week one, I think they were still trying to, you know, figure everything out and trying to get their footing and trying to kind of get moving. I think they found themselves a little bit now and they're improving as the season goes. Maybe they're playing their best football come playoff time here. I do want to, Shuck, I do want to ask you a little bit about West Hancock. The results aren't there, but I don't think they're that far off, right? No, I mean, Coach Dorothy has things trending in the right direction. You're talking about another first-year head coach who's taken over a program that has been bad for the last few years, that's really struggled to keep kids, to build consistency, um, to get athletes that want to come out and play. Well, he's kind of changed that attitude. Um, And and in typical Coy Dorothy fashion, if you look back to what his career was at West Hancock, and then he went over to McMurray and set all the passing records before that school closed. but. He had a fantastic college career slinging the football. So the fact that they're throwing the football over the place is no surprise. Um, But he's got athletes that have come out that want to play. And they're close. I mean, I I know the results aren't there. But you look at some of the success they've had moving the football and being in games. Give him another year or two. I think they're going to be back to where they're challenging for a playoff spot. Is is Grothaus back next year? Yes. Okay, that's I mean that's a huge piece right there in itself. So yeah, no Mitch, doubt. Mitch, him. Yeah, Mitch Love, yeah. But Mitch, it's amazing that you don't you don't like passing, but you you like this. <laughs> no, I, I 
Yeah, if you're well, here's the thing. It's same it's same with Quincy, right? And they they mix it up better than anybody else. But if if you've got a quarterback who can sling it, sling it. But if your identity yes. is running the ball, don't pass it. Like they, Lee, 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 there you go. Lee Wynn, Forreston, whoever, don't pass it. Just don't. Yeah. Um so Gavin's obviously the big name. Um Nolan Gooding, Bryce Varner, Evan Carroll, Gage Scott. I don't know what their eligibility is, but you know, they, they put up numbers. They're just not getting the win. So, you know, you got to start somewhere and it's a good place to start when you got a lot of players like that. And there's, what? there's energy and there's some, a little bit of excitement, even though they don't have the wins, you can just, there's a different feel to it. And that's the, huge. has been the last couple of years. Yeah. And that's absolutely huge. You know, for a program, when did, when did Dorothy play at West Hancock? I'm trying to think, I think he graduated there in 2012 and then went and. Okay. I, w- I want to say his senior year at McMurray was 2016. I remember yeah, right. Yeah. I remember writing about him. Yeah. So um, when I was at the wig, I went to I went to a playoff game uh, against Bureau Valley, but that would have been probably 06 or 07. So okay, I was trying that to think. Been, of- that would have been before him because 06. Would that have been Rick Little's last year at West Hancock? Oh, I don't know. So maybe I've maybe I've walked the sideline with Rick Little. I didn't even know it. Because I know Rick was there. No, that doesn't sound right. I'm Dor- Dorothy gr- Dorothy graduated from Hamilton in 2013. Okay. okay. Yep. So it- and, and I know Rick. I mean, Rick came from, from West Hancock to Quincy. Okay. Yeah. Um and I'm trying to remember what his because I can tell you the story when he was looking at for looking at the job, um, my wife at the time was living in Chicago. We were dating and I was driving back to Quincy from Chicago. And as I'm on the interstate looping around Bloomington, he and I are on the phone discussing the job. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, six. The oh, six season was his last season at West Hancock. And I think that was the year I covered. It was a Bureau Valley West Hancock playoff game. And Mitch, you'll appreciate a third, third and 25. And Garrett Barnes rolls out, scrambles, makes a couple guys miss, not only gets the 25 yards, but gets a 50 yard touchdown out of it. So, you yeah. know, that's not <laughs> right. That, that, that was not the year they won state. They had won state the year before. I'm just trying to think. I, I thought he was only a year younger than me, than me, so that would have been 05. Oh, maybe. Maybe it was 05. Maybe it was literally my first yeah, I year. I don't, think he was two, I don't think he was two years younger than me. I think he was just one. Well, Bureau Valley beat West Hancock 28-0 in the quarterfinals in 06. See, I think that was it. I think that was I think that was it. And that was Rick Little's last game there. And oh, yeah, never mind. I'm, ever since. I'm absolutely misremembering when my last season was. Oh, my God. <laughs> Okay. Absolutely forgot about it. Okay. All right. When Mitch figures out when he graduated, then he can talk about when other people graduated. Don't so. ask. Don't ask. Anyway, that, that, was, that was a fun trip down memory lane. We'll, we'll jump into the small school side of things. Um, Anawan Weathersfield gets the win 28-6 over Rova Williamsfield. Mitch, you can gloat a little bit here because A&W is your team, and I was I was big on Rova Williamsfield, and they were at home tonight, but Man, this this A and W team since that loss, that one point loss against Stark County, yep. has looked really good. 
And man, Zebrash had three touchdowns before the half. And this game was pretty much over at that point. Yeah, we were looking forward to this one. Uh, again, with, with Stark County's kind of ascension to the top, we the, kind of feel like it's in the bag for them. But this was still a, a contest between two really good teams. And, and yeah, like you said, Zebrash has been playing really, really good all year. And they get off to the fast start against a really good Robert Williamsfield team. And, and it's over from there. So, um, yeah, if it comes down to it that it, who does uh, – you don't want to play. They play principal. So that's that's a tough game. That's that's not a win. But if you if they win next week and you look back and you say, man, we we lost the the, the title here by a point. Yeah, man, that's tough. That that's tough. But well, and it know, not that, not only by a point, but they went for two points. They went for a two point conversion. That's right. And Stark County denied them. So literally, who knew in week two, we could potentially have been watching the the conference crown be decided yeah. right there. Yep. But again, credit, credit to them. Um, they had, this was almost their fourth shutout in the last five weeks. They had three straight shutouts there in the middle of the season. So they're looking good. They, again, a tough matchup against Princeville in week nine, but if they go into that one, a, that one, a bracket at eight and one, they'll be sitting pretty good. Yep. Let's uh, keep moving down the way here. Stark County, as we mentioned, you know, they're having a fantastic season. They continue to win 41-8 over South Fulton. So they at least have a share of the small school side. They can go yep. 9-0 next week with a win over United. I think they're at home for that one. Um, United gets the win over Havana. So, you know, a United team that maybe hasn't had the results they've wanted but could potentially finish strong here. They get a win tonight. And Princeville, Mitch, you know, every year we – we just don't get enough information out of Princeville to know really what to expect. And here they are again, they get that fifth win. They're playoff eligible with the win over Rushville industry. So. Yep. They, they don't blow anybody out. They just, they're sitting right in the middle every year and they get into the playoffs. It's just kind of the Prince's MO. So uh, here we, here we are again. All right. Are we going to jump into the three rivers athletic conference here? Sure. All right, let's do it. We got people like, you know, People that we know, Mitch, they're like, you know, banging on their, you know, device waiting right. for the track talk to start. So here we go. Yeah. You know. All right. Uh, <laughs> start in the Mississippi. Kiwani, big winners over Newman, 34 to 8. BV puts up 67 points over Aurora Central Catholic, 67 to 19. They get their fourth win of the year. Uh, Princeton and Rock Ridge, they each, I should say Princeton and the Mississippi, Rock Ridge and the Rock, they each win tonight, meaning that they each clinch a share of their respective division crowns. For Princeton, that would be their sixth consecutive. For Rock Ridge, it would be their second. EP gets their third straight win and spoils uh, the Sherrard kind of comeback in their year, 19-7 to over the Tigers. Monmouth Roseville holds off Orion, 49-35. to and Morrison gets the win 51 to six over Riverdale. I mean, Mitch, a few things that stand out to me here. Kiwani pretty, I mean, gets a kind of a dominant win, right? Jumped out yep. quick and really, you know, never looked back in this one. And then we'll get to a few other scores. Erie Prophetstown with their third win in a row. That's a headline, yep. you know, kind of story for me, but and, and, and Bureau Valley putting up 67 tonight. <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I guess I default to you. Where do you want to start? Yeah. I watched the, I watched the beginning of the Kiwani game or pretty much the first half, I guess I would say. Um, 
and it, it started quick. And the way that Newman's been playing this year, the way that that defense has looked, you kind of have to have breaks go your way. And, and they certainly did. Uh, Newman fumbled on the second play from scrimmage. Kiwani recovered. They ended up scoring. And then on the ensuing kickoff, Newman fumbled that. Kiwani recovered and scored from there. So um, Brady Clark and Alex Duarte really kind of were impressive, put on a show here tonight. They get win number seven on the year. So it's been a great, great season for Kiwani. You know, the way things are looking now, that loss to Princeton is just going to be all it takes for them not to get a, a, a crown here, but or a, a conference crown here. But they're looking good. I, I believe they'll be 4A. Um, boy, their offense clicks. I, I have been able to catch parts of Kiwani's games. I know you see them in person, um, but this was really kind of the first night I was really paying attention to it just because I was flipping back and forth between games. But Brady Clark has that team really going. Alex Duarte, he is a train. He is hard to bring down. So the Boilermakers are really, really playing well because not many teams have done this against Newman, but they they made it look easy tonight. Well, that's what I was just going to say, that not only does Kiwani get the win, but to do it against this Newman defense, that really impressed me. I, You know, you look back a week ago, and I know, or a week ago, a couple weeks ago, against Princeton, in that first half, Kiwani played well. They hung around. Defensively, they played really physical football. And they hung around with Princeton. And I know in the end of that one, talking to, you know, Coach Pearson from Princeton, and he, he said, you know, we, we didn't change anything. We just didn't execute that first half. And I, I, I'm not going to deny that, you know, Coach, Coach Pearson, you know, believes that. And that could be the truth. But in my opinion, I think that, and maybe he would agree, that Kiwani played really well. They, they came out playing really well in that first half of that game. And I was impressed with the way Brady Clark leads that offense. And he's just a, he's a playmaker, right? He's kind of that X factor. He just, he finds things that, you know, don't look like they're there. He makes things happen. And again, and Duarte is a very consistent, steady back to hand off to and a playmaker alongside of him. This is an impressive win for Kiwani, no doubt about it. Yeah, he he had one touchdown that was, uh, a keeper because they they run that play a lot, but yep, he got in he got into the open space and he is just flying. He is so quick and his vision. He was able to see that he had a receiver downfield that was able to pick up a block and kind of weaved his way around and into the end zone. So um, yeah, really really a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, how about Bureau Valley? Sixty seven yeah. points tonight in a non conference game against Aurora Central Catholic. 67-19. So they get their fourth win of the year. Now, looking ahead, they have a chance at five wins. It'd be on the road at Morrison. So, yep. you know, nothing's impossible, but it, that's a tough task. But let's let's talk about the great win tonight for them. What's really cool is it was their last home game for, yep. for Craig Johnson, longtime assistant coach for this Bureau Valley program. He's been an assistant coach since the program, since the school started, I believe in 96. I think we've, we said 96, 97 when Bureau Valley came into existence. So really cool for him to walk off tonight with a huge victory. He's seen a lot of football in that field, but this one had to feel pretty good. Yeah, he's he's certainly seen some good some good football during during the reign of, of Bureau Valley. So. He saw Mitch Stormer um, play, you know, on that field. 
not very well. Um, <laughs> well, no, he loved it. That he was very happy about it. Then uh, I could get into that game, but I won't. Um, <laughs> the superintendent, Jason Stabler, uh, who won, puts always does a nice job on Fridays getting uh, updates out. He has a he posted a great video of the team celebrating, and they're running like right towards him to the sideline, and they all like the like the Bears celebration from a couple years ago, where they're all diving into the yeah in the end zone, they're all diving towards the sideline. So yeah, the kids are pumped up there in BV. You know, they only won one game last year, so uh, Coach Pistol has that that team back on the right track. And yeah, whatever happens next week um, shouldn't take away from them having a really good season and uh, for that program moving forward. Chuck, I'll loop you in here a little bit because. This Bureau Valley program is interesting. They've made the move going next year to the Lincoln Trail Conference for yeah. all sports, but in football, that becomes the LLC. Now, when they, when they took this deal, I thought they'd be on the small side of things. So I thought, man, this is a great fit for them. They'll be Anawan Weathersfield. They'll be Rova Williamsfield, Stark County. But no, they're going to be on the big side of things. They're going to step in place of Mercer County. Okay. So you start looking at, there's some long hauls here and some really interesting matchups when you start looking down the way, the Bureau Valley matching up against Farmington, Macomb, West Hancock. Like, it's, it's an interesting dynamic here. They're a young program. They have a lot of talent coming back. We already talked about West Hancock has a lot coming back. Farmington's always in the mix. Elmwood Brimfield's always in the mix. It's it's an interesting, you know, kind of fit for them. I geographically, it's not great overall, but kind of what are your thoughts on this? Well, okay, geographically, is there any conference that's good anymore? Almost. That's true. Yeah. You know, people are are constantly looking at and like in our area, Pittsfield, which had a, an incredible football history. Yeah. 64 straight game win streak in the 70s, had been in the playoffs in the 80s and 90s. I mean, just a lot of great names for there. They joined the Sangamo for football only, for, for scheduling purposes. Yeah. They've won, I think, 18% of their games since then. It's yeah. something it's, – it's – Yeah. It's really they, – they're just not competitive. And and I think you're seeing that a lot of times with with these conference affiliations, teams are moving, and then you run into long road trips, and you know people from Quincy complain about going to Sterling. I know I know people complain about coming to Quincy, the long road trips. So like in Bureau Bureau Valley's case, yeah, there are going to be some long road trips for people. Um, when you expand conferences or and add teams that are a little further away, that's part of the life. Um, yeah, but I think. I think Bureau Valley is an interesting fit in the in the big school thing because I think there's a lot of big schools in that LLC that are all kind of similar. You know, Illini yeah. West, Macomb, the West Hancock, the three from my coverage area. None of them are juggernauts. Yep. You know, so I, I, I think there's just a, you know, and we've seen Knoxville, which is having a good year this year. We've seen them with some down years. Lewiston's having a terrible year. They they're, they're really down right now, but I know they've been good at times over the years. Um, yeah. So Bureau Valley is an interesting fit there because I think they're going to be like a lot of the teams there. They're going to have some good years. They're going to have some down years. Just looking at this, because um, like you mentioned, we, and we were, we were talking about this with I think Lena Winslow and their winning streak. And it's like in the, the twenties or something. <laughs> it's like, well, they got a long ways to go. Look, looking at Pittsfield is that they haven't had a winning season since 09 and they've only had 
four wins one time in yeah. that stretch. Otherwise, yeah. it's been one, two, or three, or zero. So, yeah. crazy. Yeah, one, only one time since they joined the Sangamo have they won more than two games. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And Which, I think it's just baffling. Yeah. Well, and you look at, you know, the current situation, what has been for Bureau Valley, when they shuffled the Three Rivers a couple years ago and they went strictly by geography, I, I think the Bureau Valley was kind of hung out to dry here because they were essentially the smallest. Newman is smaller, but I think we can realize that Newman's a little different than Bureau Valley in that in this exact case. Princeton, Kiwani, Spring Valley Hall, and Mendota, all bigger schools. Geographically, it's a better fit, but I don't know that year in and year out, it was a it was a great fit for them, you know, yeah. football-wise. You're right. I think that when you move into this conference, it's a longer drive, but they you know, they should compete, especially considering that they got a lot of guys coming back. So anyway, I was just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I, I, I would love to see some of the traditional matchups and rivalries that we've seen over the years. Like Quincy, Notre Dame and Pittsburgh were a great rivalry. Yeah. And they, they, they cannot play each other anymore. And like Notre Dame, which is a, you know, still has that outside chance that they could they finish four and five next week. And they'll have 50 or more playoff points because their schedule's been loaded. There's an outside chance that if that four and five gets in, it could be them. I don't know if a four and five will actually teeter on that line. Yeah. But there's still that little bit of hope for them. Well, if they get in, they're in 2A. Next year, they're going to be playing in the Central State Eight. Yeah. Because, yeah. Because they got to find a conference. And, yeah. and I just, there, there's so many, there's so many issues with the football scheduling the way it's done that that's what we're ending up with um hey shuck there was an article this week talking about uh a district football proposal put on the table let's uh let's keep that talk for the end of the podcast but don't worry we're gonna get there (laughs) as mitch slaps his forehead you stick around shuck we're gonna get there because i want to get your thoughts being from quincy all right, well, let's, let's keep going through. We'll finish up here. Anything else in the, uh, in the LLC here? I think we've covered most of it, all of it. We were talking about the track, weren't we? Or sorry, sorry, I scrolled down too far. Yes, the track, <laughs> um, the track. No, uh, like I said, uh, you know, it, it's Princeville and, or sorry, sorry, Princeton and Rock Ridge's years yet again. Um, great seasons for them, so, um, but You've got you've got EP now with three straight wins. They have to, I think they go to Rock Ridge. So the way that they've been playing, maybe play spoiled Rock Ridge. That would give Morrison a claim if they win their week nine. So um, I don't think there's any drama on the Princeton side, but um, yeah, nothing, nothing surprising this week. I don't, I don't think not here in the, uh, in the track. Nope. I think, you know, Monmouth, congrats to Monmouth Roseville. They get the win there. So they're sitting at the, are they four and four now? Yeah. So, so yes. they do so need to win next week. Yes. Yes. So they can get win number five against Sherrard next week. Which that, that's an interesting matchup. We'll talk more about it next week on the podcast. But, you know, for a Sherrard team that we thought would be going into that game potentially with a playoff spot on the line, it looks like now, like I said, they have their fifth loss on the season. So their playoff chances are 
pretty much gone. As, as Chuck alluded yep. to, there's a chance four and fives can get in. It doesn't look real likely. Yeah. But for Monmouth-Roseville, that game is still huge. Yep. So, all right. Well, now I think we're done with the track. And I think we've also done the, uh, the LLC, correct? Correct. So as I scroll we, through we, my notes here. Yeah, the NUIC is, is what we got here to wrap up. All right. Well, we talked about Fulton getting the big win. Let's talk about Dupec and Forreston. This was a heck of a game. I think, Mitch, both you and I watched a good part of it. Great win for Dupec. Kind of a crazy, you know, defensive game. And it came down to, you know, a lot of little things happening on the, you know, happening to make the difference here. Yes. Yeah, so, so what, you had the, the number 10, 3A team in Dupec going against the number two or three. In Depending on what, person. yep, what rank you look at, um, yeah. And if if this was if this was a dry day, I think you'd see two pretty vastly different operations on on offense. But it was it was downpouring tonight. That's what of um, all weather nights, it looked like it was pretty bad in Forreston. Yeah, or it was in. Uh, or no, uh, you're right. It was in. It was in Duran. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they still ran out of shotgun though, so can't you know um, <laughs> yeah. can't change a good thing. But yeah, they. Dupac's defense just rose to the occasion. I mean, they scored on the on the seventh play of the game, I think it was, and then it was just two teams just trying to get yards. And yeah, you know, it, it comes down to the end. I watched the second half of this, and I, I didn't see anything in the first. But you know, w- when I turned it on, Forreston was in the red zone, and they get down inside the ten. I don't know how close they were. They get to a fourth and goal, and again. For reasons unknown, they try a pass, and it, it looks like it kind of gets floated up a little bit. The receiver was sitting there wide open. It was a play action. It was a beautiful play design. A little bit of air gets under it. I think the wind knocked – he must have been thrown into the wind because it knocked it down a little bit. Dupec gets the interception. They go down. They drive until – I think it's about midfield. They're, get, they're facing a fourth and two. Forreston stops it, and I think that was with – Seven minutes left, maybe. Forrest does the same thing. They drive down. And I had tweeted this out because the Dupec radio group had said that Forreston had 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 five turnovers this year, all interceptions. They had never lost a fumble. And then shortly after that, they lost their first fumble of the year. Um, Dupec recovered, and then it, they just – it was Jalen Noud left and Connor Hughes right. They were picking up first downs, just hard runs in the in the wet and cold, and, and they were able to run out the clock. So you know this was again if you play this game on on a on a normal day when it's nice weather, I think you'd see maybe something different, maybe the same result. Dupex a really good team; they're a bigger team, but it, it's it certainly means a lot for the conference now because now you have you give Lena the share automatically. And then they have to now, of course, play Forreston and can win it outright. Yeah. So Lena Winslow will have a chance to take care of business next week in the showdown with Forreston. They get the win 50 to nothing over Galena. So they now have, let's see, at least a share of the NUIC title for the 11th time since 2000. So, I mean, an impressive run that continues here for the Panthers. Yeah. Um, again, not nothing unexpected. So, 
they just keep doing what they do. And it's, it's hard to even, you know, what we talked about earlier, that it sounds like you're talking about a broken record when you talk about the NUIC. Lena Winslow doesn't do anything special. They don't do anything special. You know they're not going to pass, and you still can't stop it. You know you're not going to score on them. And it's just like yeah, when, when the streak inevitably ends, right, I, don't, I just don't know what that team would have to be good at to beat them. I don't know if it's a team that passes all the time. I don't know if it's just maybe a bigger, stronger team that does the same things as Lena Winslow. I, I don't know. But, boy, are they impressive. And like you said, the – and, and shout out to Kyle who tweeted that out too. They're their eleventh time and what they're. Well, no, I don't even know it wasn't because Forston won it and Deepak have won it, so it's not even consecutive. And they've won state titles. That's how good yeah. the NUIC has been. So, uh, and then yeah, now they play Forston next week. They can win it outright, and um, I, the way that they've been playing and with Forston's loss, how can you expect Lee Win to lose? But. It happened a couple years ago, so you never know. Yeah. Well, looking at um, the rest of the results, Stockton gets the 14-6 to win over Dakota. So Stockton now sits at 4-4. Four and four. They have a matchup with Galena next week yep. for their playoff eligibility on the line. So a lot on the it. line. What's that? I think they'll get it. Yeah. Yep. A lot on the line there. Eastland Pearl City also got the win 44 to nothing over West Carroll on Thursday night. So yeah, it all sets itself up for Lena Winslow Foreston, you know, kind of where we thought these teams would end up being, you know, come week nine when they matched up. So I just want to say that last Friday, I don't even know why I asked Kyle this. He said EPC, this was last Friday. He says EPC wins that game 44 to nothing. <laughs> I have the res- I have the receipts on it. That's I incredible. It last I screenshot it last night and sent it to him. I mean, I think he forgot that he said it. So that's that's how good Kyle is with his NUIC coverage. He can predict the scores in these games. Yeah. Uh, quickly, we'll touch on eight man football, but not a lot to talk about. Amboy plays Orangeville tomorrow. Milledgeville plays Decatur Unity Christian tomorrow. Polo gets the forfeit win against Quest. I did not see a Ridgewood score over BPC and I did not see a West Prairie River Ridge score. So if either one of you can help with those, that's great. But I didn't see them throughout the night. Can you hear my cat? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we can hear your cat. Is is Hiawatha an eight-man team? Yes, they are. They won. I I remember seeing the tweet. Yes, yeah, sorry. I'm not ignoring AFC. you. I'm downloading photos and doing some work on my football coverage. No, oh, you're all hard. good. You're all good. Uh, I mean, the cat's chiming in, so he's taking care of the business for you. So, well, my, yeah, do- my dog walked one. into my office, but I don't know where he went. <laughs> Walk back out. <laughs> okay, so Hiawatha gets the win over Ashton Franklin Center, 46 22. And um, the other score I saw from earlier tonight was um, uh, Flanagan Cornell Woodland got the win over South Beloit. So South Beloit was a team that we had talked a lot about. They were, you know, getting moving up in the ranks a few weeks ago. They lost to St. Thomas Moore on a Saturday, and now they lose, you know, again to this one, to Flanagan Cornell Woodland. So, you know, kind of an interesting result there. 
but obviously, you know, two of the, you know, the bigger hitters in Milledgeville and Amboy play tomorrow. So, all right, before we wrap this up, Chuck, did you read the article from Friday Night Drive? Have you heard about the new proposal from not just random schools, but it was four different conferences and all the schools signed on together to put in a proposal for district football play with the I IHSA. haven't looked at what their proposal is, but I've not know. I don't know. There's a lot. I don't know. There's a lot of details yet, but anyway, go yeah. ahead. I, I'm not a fan of it. I, I'm not. I, I, again, you lose rivalries, you lose conference affiliations, you lose, you know, Again, I know there's frustration that comes with trying to make the football schedules work. But fact of the matter is, you know what? Figure it out. There, there's got to be a way to figure this out that a Pittsfield isn't leaving the conference it had been in all these years just to join the Sangamo and get its head bashed in just so it can have nine games every year. You know? Yeah. It, uh, obviously... I think some of the conferences need to figure out a way to do some scheduling agreements or that's a good idea. You know, okay. We've, we've got an eight team Western big six. Yep. Okay. What's a comparable conference that has eight teams where you sit there and go, okay. Weeks one and two or, or eight and nine or whatever, however you would work it. Yep. We're going to have crossover games. Yep. And I, and, I, and I know there's some that, that try to do that, and I know there's not a, a, a perfect way to do it. Because if you sit there and go, okay, the number ones for the number one team from the, the conference champion from both of these conferences, they're going to play each other in week one next year. But what if one team graduates everybody yeah. and the other team brings everybody back? Is that fair? No. So I, I think there's got to be some give and take there, but I think some conference scheduling agreements would work. Um, again, I think too many schools have gone, oh, we're going to leave this conference or we're going to join this conference solely to worry about football scheduling. Yep. Yep. And, and, in, and to me, instead of a district group, uh, alignment, I think you keep the conference alignment, you keep that. But I think the IHSA kind of has to step in and say, okay, look, you can't leave this school. You can't say, okay, nobody's going to play them because we might lose to them and we're, you know. There's got to be a way to make it happen that still maintains some of the integrity of the conferences and the rivalries without going into districts. It, it, may, be, it may be an impossible question to answer, but I want to I ask you, what go in the minds of Quincy Notre Dame fans who, you know, they've been kind of left out, you know, yep. with no conference affiliation. Next year, they are joining a conference, though, correct? Yes, and they're going to get their. There's a good chance they get their bain, their brains bashed in, because they're joining the Central State Eight, and so you're going. Yeah, say Bernard Griffin, Chatham, Glenwood, you know Rochester High, Rochester. Now I don't know how you know, and I know I talked to some of the Central State Eight coaches, and they're excited because they have a good relationship with QND coach Jack Cornell, and they know QND fans travel well and all that. Yeah, but they're not a four A, five A, six A school yeah Roman wise they're a 2a school yeah they're not going to be competitive year in and year out over there they're just not so and i think a lot of the qnd fans know it 
Yeah. So that's what that's what leads me to think like I would think they would want district play. I think they would want the IHSA to step in and say, here's your opponents. And then you have, in my ideal world, it would be, you know, you set up districts and then you have two non-conference games that you're able to schedule on your own, you know? So I would think Quincy Notre Dame would want something like that. Probably, but but I look at that as if you say, okay, here's your district game. So you're going to play these seven teams. Here, here's an eight-team district, so you're gonna. There's seven games. You got two games that you can go play whoever you want. Mm-hmm. Okay, I think that still leaves open the the idea of well, we don't want to go play them because they're good, and teams are sitting there going, I can't fill those last two games because of this. Yeah, I, I, again, I don't think there's a perfect world right now in the way the scheduling is done, um, because everybody's looking for five victories. Mitch, you hate district thoughts. Why? I, I, I think it's like it's like Chuck said. You, you lose so much of what makes it great, right? Um, what Iowa has districts. Um, I mean, what's but what's what's that dynamic in Iowa? Because they still they still have conferences, but they they still play within districts. How does that work? Well, they have conferences for every other sport correct shuck yeah i mean, i was i was different and we don't cover any of the iowa school so i'm not quite as familiar but like in okay, missouri you play a nine game regular season schedule and then every team in the state goes into a district and they seed them one through eight and basically your playoffs start then so you're if you're zero and nine you're the eighth you're going to be the eighth seeded team in your district and you're you're like getting your head beat in by somebody who's eight and one or nine and oh yeah but everybody think, makes the playoffs but everybody right, starts think, right there yeah that's that's how ohio does it so they still play their conferences and yep. then they get put into district so but again it i think people it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't work because cincinnati is has a lot of strong teams well, they're going to beat up on each other in the first rounds of the playoffs, and then you're going to play some some terrible team that got out of a terrible district out of Dayton. And it doesn't yep. make any sense because all the good football might be in one district. It just – you lose out on so much. Well, yeah. and that's why that's why the current 1 through 16 process I don't think works. Exactly. I don't, you're yeah. not getting a true champion. I will say right. I I'm very on the fence about district play, but I think I would need to see – I need to see exact details on it because Iowa put in district play several. It's been years back now. I mean, within yeah. the last 15 years, they put in district play. And my biggest, my biggest gripe with what they did was for a long time, they would schedule non, you could schedule non-district games, but they literally meant nothing. When you headed towards postseason, the only thing that mattered was your district record. So you'd play two non-district games in the regular season that had zero consequence for the rest of the year. That to me is ridiculous. Why would we do that? Well, That's I'll take you a step further. Missouri used to do it. Your first seven games were schedule anybody. So a lot of teams would were a lot. There were a lot of eighteen conferences. So your first seven games were that. Then you would play three district games. You could be zero and seven going into a four-team district win and you're in the playoffs where a team that was seven and oh might lose in the district 
and they don't get in the playoffs. Uh, it made no sense whatsoever. It took it, it meant the first seven weeks didn't matter in Iota. Uh, yeah, see, so that's what makes me nervous is like, I think the district play could potentially solve some scheduling issues, but I hear horror stories like that and think, oh, let's not backtrack here. Because ultimately, the way the IHSA does things outside of the 1 through 16, like, I think that they do get the best teams in the playoffs. And I think that Illinois is unique, at least in football, where not everybody makes it. You have to qualify for it. I think that becomes a great talking point, And it, it makes you need to earn something, whereas the other Illinois sports don't have that. I think that's a unique aspect that I don't want to lose out on. I just, I think it would solve some scheduling issues, but I also worry about the potential for, yeah, just some weird scheduling quirks and some weird standings, you know, things that wouldn't, would make games meaningless. I mean, I look at it from this standpoint, if it's a district matchup and I know we have some, some questions with, with travel and all that, who's Quincy's going to be be in Quincy's district. If you're doing, if Quincy's seven, a yeah. You're looking at four or five hour road trips for every game. Yeah. Right. I I remember when the district format was initially passed, but they had no details on it. Yeah. And then when they came out with the details, and yeah, you're right, Quincy was really on an island. It was it was yeah. ugly. Their their situation. And and, th- and and that's gonna be the case. Quincy's on an island. We all know that. But if you set it up and I'm using Quincy as an example because that's where I'm at, but but there could be a team from, uh, you know, another part of the state that, you know, I don't know if like a, well, Danville's got champagne next to it. But if you got some, a big school and a small, surrounded by a lot of small schools, the district doesn't work. Because yeah. now you're telling that one big school, you got to travel all this way to play your right. games. Yeah. And, and when you start looking around the geography of the state, like Quincy is almost the unique case because I mean, even, yeah. even Galesburg has Peoria close enough or the quad cities close enough. And obviously the farther North you get, you're going to find plenty of opponents. Um, yeah. I will say on the opposite side of things, like my alma mater, Ottawa Marquette, they're, they're now the smallest 11 man football program. I I think they're going to stay 11 man for the foreseeable future. I don't know for sure, but they really, they've found a conference this year. It's a fit. I don't know if it's a good fit. I don't think it's a great fit. I do think, and that's probably me being biased. I think, I think district play would, would help them tremendously, tremendously. It would, it would give them opponents, you know, that were equal size for however many weeks of the season, but I get it. That's me looking at one specific case that I'm, you know, maybe too close to, but. I'll go, I'll go back. I I don't, I think Illinois is going to lose a lot of its history. If you go to districts, because you're going to lose some of the rivalries and some of the things that make those week, those Friday nights special. Yeah. You know, in Quincy's case, if you lose playing Rocky Moline, you know, Galesburg, those, and you've got to go now play Wheaton, Warrenville South or, you know, Kankakee or somebody because, well, that's your closest 7A team for a district. 
Yeah. What makes you, what makes you inspired to go play that game as a, you know, as a, as an yeah. athlete, there's no rivalry. There's no history there. Yeah. Well, and that's what, you know, Ty Taylor talked about when Mercer County was debating going to the three rivers and leaving the LLC because they didn't have any history with the Prairie land schools. You know, they have very little history with Illini West. They have, you know, no yeah. history with West Hancock, no history with Farmington, Elmwood, Brimfield, et cetera. So that was his point was that, you know, in that conference, it wasn't a fit for those reasons. So yeah, that's a good point. I think ultimately what, would, what it would come down to is what does the schedule look like? How do you determine who plays who, what those games mean, and how do you qualify for the playoffs? And I think yeah. that scheduling may be a little easier with districts, but I don't know that it would be a better solution to what we currently have, I guess. So I'm on the fence. I don't know. I know Mitch slaps his forehead every time we talk districts, but you know, (laughs) I'm I'm always going to be a fan of whatever puts the two best teams in each class. Yeah. In a potential state championship run. Yeah. Like how many years have we had? Well, that, you know, and again, let's talk about the NUIC, but how many times have we probably had the top two teams in the state, in that class, in that conference, there's no reason that you shouldn't. And again, this goes back to the one verse 32 thing, but well, yeah, you know, it, it, you're not giving a fair opportunity, I don't think, for the best two teams to play for a state championship, regardless of the conference. I'm just talking in that division, right? Or in that class, I should say. Whatever, whatever can figure that out the best way. And I think it's one, one through 32. That's what I'm always going to cheer for. Yeah. I, yeah. I hope in some way, shape, or form, we can get there at some point. I hope it's as simple as going one through 32. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but man, that would be the easiest, quickest fix. Well, and I I think too, with, with the rate of of schools that are either going eight man or consolidation, like you're always going to run into scheduling issues, no matter what the format is. So why overhaul it? It's not going to solve the issue. I don't think. Yeah. Anything else on this? Are we, we wrapping it up for the night? I think depending on how this all plays out, we may have to revisit this in an, in an off season podcast. Cause there could be a lot of major news coming down with it. Let's wrap it up for good and never talk about it again. <laughs> well, you, you may be right, <laughs> but I don't know that for sure, but all right. Well, if we're wrapping up tonight, uh, Shuck, one more question I have to ask you. Yeah. What's up? Have you ever had a bowl of chili with a cinnamon roll on the side? No, I can't say that I have. No. Have you ever heard of that? No. With a cinnamon roll on this. I mean, I love chili. I love cinnamon rolls. But I can't ever say that together. Like, I've never seen that. (laughs) All right, Mitch, are we getting into this now or are we saving this for next week? Well, okay. Let's Just because Chuck's never heard of it, let's just get into it real quick. So, (laughs) I I don't know where this originates from. I know growing up in in Morrison, Illinois, that that was a staple, that like a school lunch weekly thing that you would get a bowl of chili and you would get a cinnamon roll on the side. And as okay. I, I grew older, I would find more people that like talking to people from Iowa, for, you know, for example, they had that too. But then you talk to other people from even the same like area of Iowa and you're like, what are you talking about? Or you talk to other people from Illinois, not far from where you you had it, and they're like, 
no, like that's disgusting. So it's such a weird dynamic and it's such a weird thing that some schools or areas are used to this and nearby ones hmm. don't even know what you're talking about. So we, we, we talked about this today, Greg and I did, and I, I put out a, a poll and I think the no's are winning pretty handily that they've never even heard of that. Um, now, a cinnamon roll after you eat a good bowl of tea, and you want something a little sweet, a right? You're roll, not like, fine. yeah, you're not like dipping it. It's just like a complimentary thing with it. Well, there was just, there was a photo there was a photo with a cinnamon roll sitting like right on the top of the bowl of chili, which is kind of weird. That is kind of weird. <laughs> like I I sit back and think of school lunches and that kind of stuff, and I think of the the graham cracker squares with icing on top. Yeah, yeah. Not cinnamon rolls on the on the lunch yeah. tray. I did yeah, see exactly. a picture of I did see a picture of a school lunch tray to, to defend Mitch, where it was the chili was in one compartment, and then yes, the cinnamon roll was sitting separate right. nearby. So I I guess I see yeah to Shuck's point, I see that part of the it's just the flavor palettes. You know, it's just it's just funny. Like I said, you, you talk to some people and they're like, yeah, we had that, and you talk to people other people from the same state in the same area and they don't have a clue what you're talking about. So Chris Hassel, who works for CBS was a, um, he's a sportscaster for CBS. Now grew up in Muscatine, went to school at Ambrose in the quad cities, proud Iowan. He saw this tweet. And I think that's kind of where it all started. That's how it's, yeah, that's how it started. Yeah. And he was very adamant that he had never heard of this and never, you know, this was not an Iowa thing. But I think some people have stepped up and said, yes, it was. And now, obviously, Mitch, you remember it fondly. So, yeah, right. It is, this is a weird, weird dynamic. We got to investigate well, this more. Next time I make a pot of chili, I'm going to make a batch of cinnamon rolls. See? And, and I'll surprise my wife with it. And she'll be like, what in the hell's going on? I said, just eat your chili and then eat your cinnamon roll afterward and tell me what you think. Yep. That's, That's the kind of research we like on the pod. I like it. All right. Well, I think that's, you know, that that's good. This was a good, good, healthy discussion, Mitch. See? Yes. See, exactly. Mitch, you got to remember, we did at Muddy River, we did a, a debate. One night I was hungry and I thought, I should get a sandwich. Well, what should I get? So I threw it out on Twitter and Facebook and said, what's the best sandwich in Quincy I should go get? And it turned into, we did a 10-part series video series where we went to the 10 favorite rest places and tried their sand that sandwich maybe we maybe maybe everybody yes, that yes. watches view from the west needs to do chili and cinnamon rolls one 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 thing if you just google chili and cinnamon rolls you'll see like a bunch of like stories about it two it's too bad that you didn't go to sterling because then you could have gotten arthur's garden deli ah see yeah <laughs> As Mitch would say, not a sponsor, but could be. Not a sponsor, but could be. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right, boys. I appreciate it. Fun as always. Shuck, thanks for being here. We got to bring you in again, Shuck. We got a lot to talk about. You know, a lot happening in the uh in the local uh media landscape that I really want to yes. pick your brain about. We didn't get to it tonight, but local newspapers need help. And I'm gonna I'm gonna bring you in and in an off-season okay. podcast in another month or so, and we're going to deep dive it. Dude, I love joining you guys. I'm willing to do it any time. Thank you for having me. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll we'll have you on the docket for sure. 
you know, when we're talking playoff previews, I think we'll need yeah. your expertise on what, what Quincy has ahead of them and what they're looking at. So we'll, we'll bring you in for sure to get your insights and, and it's great. And I know we might end up with a Lena Winslow camp point central showdown in one a again, that we could do this. Oh, I, would no love it. I would love it. We'll, we'll have to do it. We'll have to do it live from Springfield. Uh, from uh, no Bloomington. Or, uh, uh, yep. Bloomington. Bloomington. Oh, sorry, Bloomington. Bloomington. Yeah. Yeah. Home of the Redbirds. So it'll be, that'll be cool. That'd be a cool venue. I hope to be there and you're right. I hope it's, I hope it's against uh camp point central. That'd be awesome. I mean, I guess that I should be. say, I hope it's an NUIC team. Lena Winslow against camp point central. That would be awesome. So there you go. All right, boys. Well, Mitch, I'll see you in a couple days. We'll do this all again. We'll be talking yep. week nine. We'll be looking ahead to the playoffs. Mitch, we promised it a week ago that we would, you know, explore around the state and start, yeah. you know, doing some homework. Are we going to, can we promise that this week? Yeah, we, we, we always go really deeper than we should on the instant reacts. Yeah, we don't like, we don't even have stats yet for some of these games, but yeah, I think if we just kind of run through the games again, quick by then everyone will know what happened. But yep. if we start kind of looking around and because after, after, next friday then what the pairings come out on sunday right saturday night saturday, saturday night yeah yep. so we we won't we don't really won't have an opportunity to really kind of do a preview of playoffs we'll, nope. we'll get into it after the brackets are released but yeah i think i think on tuesday um or, or monday night that that's what we'll talk about that sounds good all right well shuck we'll be in touch for sure and uh thank you to everyone who listens we got a lot of a lot of playoff football to talk about in the next next week i guess and then we're then we're getting into the into the big time into the playoffs so thank you to everyone we will talk soon